What's up, guys? Rachel Lindsay here, and I am teaming up with your favorite Ringer podcasters to deliver the Bravo drama and news that you've been craving on Morally Corrupt. It's the show about all things Bravo, from the housewives to summer house and everything in between. We'll be mentioning it all every week. Check it out on Spotify and TheRinger.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. You're a powerhouse of a person balancing it all. Work, life, family, podcast. And your ride should be no different. The 2024 Hyundai Sonata Hybrid is a powerhouse of a sedan that meets all your needs. With the sleek front end, plus stylish interior, an available 12.3-inch digital instrument cluster, and seamless tech integration. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the new 2024 Hyundai Sonata Hybrid. This episode is brought to you by Ugg. Y'all know Ugg is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think Ugg season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from Ugg. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at Ugg.com. Welcome back, everybody, to, I guess it's called the special, let's call it special July 4th weekend podcast, where we talk about America, and who better to spend that with than my old pal from back in the day at this point, because time flies so much, that's what it feels like, right? (laughs) But, uh, you know, he was co-founder of the Black Political Black Jack and Jill Politics, you know, he's from The Onion, which, you know, that in and of itself is a conversation of course, his book, How to Be Black, bestseller. But here now, guys, he's doing a new show for PBS. This is amazing. And you're going to love this show. It's called America Outdoors with Baratunde Thurston on Black on the Air. Welcome, Baratunde Thurston to Black on the Air. How you doing, man? It's, it's good to be black on the air with you, Larry. I'm good. Happy, happy Independence and Interdependence Day. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I love that you're doing this show, man. It's, it's a very inspirational show. It Thank really you. Is. Yes. I have to give you some props. I and I knowing how you can deconstruct things, you know, and somewhat how your brain works. And I mean, you can be political and insightful. You're so straightforward in a refreshing way in this. Like you're mm. you're like a discoverer, you know. <laughs> you really are. But I yeah. I think the audience will appreciate that. You know, it's really I've only seen a couple of episodes, but man, it's really interesting. You're giving us uh the ability to see it through you, I guess is a good way to say it, you know, which is great. So congratulations on the show. Are you having fun? Larry, I'm having a lot of fun. And thanks for noticing that discovery thing. Yeah. No, no Columbus connections intended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh there's a lot of I discoverers. Think, you know, He's not the only there's a lot of discoveries. Discovery yeah. without genocide. That's my that's my type of discovery. Oh, I like that. That's a good log line. Yeah. But I was, you know, as a kid. I spent a lot of time outdoors and, and a lot of a lot of my blackness was shaped by the outdoors. My mom was like this super pan-African lady and a hiker oh. and loved taking me and my friends camping. Uh, my sister took me on these epic bike journeys, mountain biking. She lived in rural Pennsylvania for years, so I got to go fishing and all kinds of rural things with her. Nice. Um, and so, you know, having gotten away from my childhood, as most of us do, we kind of forget some of that excitement, some of that innocence. 
and I got sucked into the technology world and the screens and all that. That's how we know you really. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important part of my life, but, um, nature is an essential, you know, part of all of our lives in mm-hmm. this show. It was a treat to just be able to, to reconnect with the little boy in me. Yeah. So how did this show come about? Did, did, uh, was there an idea for the show that existed out there or did this generate from some of the stuff you were talking about a desire to do this type of thing? So the show began with Twin Cities Public Television mm-hmm. out of Minneapolis, St. Paul. They had the initial idea for the show. And then they put out a call. They found this production company uh, out of Brooklyn, actually, called Part Two Pictures. Mm-hmm. And they were tasked with making the show. That's, you know, the business. So sure. we want to make a show. You go make the show. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but they, they had pretty clear direction from TPT. Uh, but the, the big thing they did was they found me. And uh, so I'm really grateful to TPT. I'm extra grateful to part two because they put out this call. My agent was like, hey, do you want to go hang out in the woods? I was like, black man in the woods? Of course. What could go wrong? And and then part two really involved me in the process of shaping the show to the Uh point of like some of the locations, choosing Mm -hmm. some of the participants, uh, even a a decision about a full episode where we would shoot it. Mm. And they wanted to know what I was into, what I was excited to rediscover or discover anew. So it was ultimately a big collaboration with like PBS part two uh, and a bit of me. And I see it as a continuation of a lot of the stuff I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Just literally more grounded this time. So let's describe it for people. Uh, this when when is the first episode drop? Is it July fifth? The, the the premiere is July fifth, July uh, 5th. nine p.m. Eastern, eight Central on PBS. Also on YouTube for the people who don't watch TV. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of those people now. <laughs> In those big annoying quotation marks, but you spend all your time on moving image platforms like TikTok. But you're uh, partly <laughs> responsible for my friends. So. Hey, hey, hey. Like, now is not the time to play the blame game, Larry. We should look forward, not backwards. Exactly. Okay, <laughs> okay. So, so let's describe the show of, of what people are going to see. Yeah, so America Outdoors is my journey through this country. Mm. Spending time with a really diverse set of Americans mm-hmm. who share a common and deep connection to the outdoors. Yeah. Um, that, that's the shortest version. Mm-hmm. Uh, slightly longer is, I think, when I hear outdoor show, mm. I think of um, extreme adventurer kind of stuff. Yeah. I think of grizzled, bearded white dude conquering something. Right. And we have a few of those, yeah. but just a few. We have a lot of everybody in the show mm-hmm. from paralyzed folks to refugee kids from Africa to, you know, white guys in ranches to women hikers to mm-hmm. lots of in different indigenous nations represented. So I'm most proud of kind of the full spectrum of America we're showing. Yeah, I think you kind of uh, not so much redefine, but you kind of crystallize the definition of diverse in a different mm. way for this show. The, you know, the, we think of diverse, I think people think of it in one way. I always feel it's usually in the liberal, white, charitable way towards Black people. Let's make it diverse. It's like, motherfucker, you know. <laughs> but diverse means it's a much broader term and a much more interesting term, especially in the eyes of this show, right? It is. And uh, I mean, I could pick, we're very diverse on gender and ethnicity. Mm-hmm. We're diverse on the political dimension. Mm-hmm. But the diversity that actually... Um, was most interesting to me. I think of it as kind of a, a sensory mm. diversity and ah, an ecological yeah, like diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I spent time with firefighters mm-hmm. who learned how to fight wildfires while incarcerated. Wow. 
Yeah. Right. And so, and, and, and that was diverse. It was also a diverse mindset because I'm new to California as a resident. Yeah. My first, you know, my, my COVID summer 2020, I'm reading in the LA times about how little we pay prisoners to save million dollar homes. Right? And it's, it feels like sharecrop and it feels like slavery again. And so liberal me is just like, this is a bullshit. You're dehumanizing, you're extracted labor, blah, 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 buzzword, buzzword. Much of that is true. However, until making the show, I'd never actually directly spoken with anyone who did that job. Mm-hmm. So I'm speaking with these people. I'm training with them actually up in Idlewild, California. And they're all formally incarcerated and they're in this certification program to be able to get jobs in fire departments. That, that's been going on for a long time here, actually. Yeah. Well, the, well, the, the yeah. use of prison labor has been going on for a long time. This training program is brand new. Oh, okay. And it, it was created by uh, this man, Royal Ramey. Uh, as we speak, just within the past few days, he received a pardon from Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, so it's a huge deal for him. That's amazing. But he basically, he learned how to do all this stuff from prison. He got out of prison. No fire department will hire him. Exactly. Because he has a felony conviction. Right. Even though he's like super well trained and has experience. So he started creating this program to certify people with Cal Fire and, and other institutions. First of its kind in the nation. Now, I'm talking to these cats. And I was like, so what's it? What? I came with a very strong bias. Sure. And I was basically like, my brother's. What did it feel like to be exploited by the man mm-hmm. in your time on the inside to save these rich folks' homes? And, and they came back with, it was the best job I could ever have asked for in prison. Mm-hmm. We got to leave prison. Mm-hmm. We got to go, get off campus. We got to be outside in nature. And, and when someone is confined, you know, 24-7, yeah. just being outside, not in the yard, for real outside, mm-hmm. you know, among wildlife, they were humbly grateful. Yeah. And of course, I still believe we should pay people non, you know, slave wages mm-hmm. for this type of work. But I also had to defer to the folks with the direct experience mm-hmm. who were just like, this helped save my life. And now that I can do it on the outside, I'm so proud. My kids can look up to me again. Right. My community calls 911 to reach me, not yeah. because of me. It's a totally, So that's just like one little flavor of that's story. Amazing. Night sky photographers, ultra marathoners, people who listen to nature and use this audio equipment just to try to find rare pockets of non-human noise and fully natural sounds. Uh, So very, very, very diverse uh, by pretty much every measure. I think what's interesting about the firefighter thing to me, because my father was a, he worked in the probation department, he's the LA County Sheriff, so I was very familiar Mm. with this this area and the firefighting thing. And some of it was youths too, you know, but for me, we're all in our bubbles, right? Yeah. And there's a road that unfortunately some kids are on, not to their own fault, where they're in a criminal bubble, you know, uh, because that's what's around them. And they don't know something else. And that's how they survive. That's how they get through. And the revelation that there's something else you know, for some of these kids can be life-changing when there's a, a structure around it and something like firefighting. And I know this sounds weird, but it can change people's lives doing something like that because you're doing something outside of yourself too, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and you're doing something physical. And so many kids who get caught up in the criminal, uh, I'm not going to say the criminal justice system. I'm going to say the criminal bubble, which is different yeah. because we look yeah. at it when we're thinking of it in politics, we think of the criminal justice system and the inequities. But there's something that happens before that, and it's the criminal bubble, which is an unfortunate thing. 
and where kids they don't get a chance to learn about the world in a certain way. There's no there's no alternatives. Yeah. That's one of the most tragic parts of kids that get on that track, you know. And I've always thought it's it's great outside of the other stuff you're talking about because I agree with you. You know, people shouldn't be exploited, of course. But the fact that you can learn something like that and find a value outside of this other thing, to me, if we can find ways to, that's what rehabilitation should be about, you know, is yeah. giving people a way forward and not just telling them that something was wrong or something, because people do things to survive. That's the natural human instinct, no matter what environment you're in, you know. It sounds like circular, yeah. but we only know what we know. Yes, and and a lot of us are are born into these bubbles, into these um, cycles right. of abuse, of of only illegal criminal activity, uh, of scarcity. Yeah, and 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 that can be you know that's religious cults, that's criminal Absolutely. behavior, yep. that's extremist political communities. That, yeah. There's a lot of versions of it. There's different forms of that. You know, we sometimes we tend to focus on one part of it, but you're right. It happens in so many different ways. This is what's interesting to me. I didn't know what to expect. I'm like, what is this, a nature show? What are you doing, Bear Tonight? And I'm watching <laughs> A lot of my friends are like, bro, what you doing? You all right out there? <laughs> I know. It creeps up on you. And tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it's an appreciation of the country from a physical region standpoint, which I find interesting, that it's taking topography mm-hmm. almost as a starting point, you know, like I was, when I was watching the Death Valley thing, I'm like, okay, what are we, okay, there's a guy living in Death Valley. What am I getting out of? And then I realized the more I'm watching this, I'm fascinated by yeah. this region. You, yeah. know? you really, it's interesting, you know, you take us using the topography itself as a way in to learn about who we are. That's, I don't think I've seen that before. Yeah. Thank you, man. Oh, this is a relief. Is, is that what you're going for? Yeah. It wasn't. The front end intention. My my initial intention yeah. was, I'm excited to get back outside. Uh, I'm excited to yeah. highlight different types of people who do outdoors things and and reconnect with nature. That that was pretty basic. As I'm in it, it's getting more profound. You know, in Death Valley was the first thing we shot. Uh, Minnesota was the last thing we shot. And we are. What time of the year were you summer. in Death Valley? Oh, but, but yeah. very um, late spring. We, th- thankfully, we shot that like the last week of May, I believe. It was already hot, but it wasn't that 120, 130 degree oh, okay. Death Valley. That's inhumane. I would have right. had to. I would have had to get my lawyer involved on that one. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so it's a difference between theory and practice. When mm. you and when I'm in it, I'm actually feeling the country. That's what mm. I didn't expect. I, I do a lot of pontificating. I'm, I'm a pretty good pontificator. I've been on your shows. I've been on all kinds of glass tabletop analysis mm-hmm. views Absolutely. of the country. And we can get a little disconnected. I can get a little disconnected doing that. Mm-hmm. This was like, all right, get in this boat with a stranger. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and, and what happens is a different kind of conversation. It's, it's actual yes. conversation. It's, yes. it's talking with yeah. America, in America. Yeah. And the distraction yeah. of these butterflies or this surf wave or this horse or this ATV is just mm-hmm. what I needed to appreciate the country again from a totally different lens. And, and the other thing about, because topography is such a, no one has ever used that word to describe the show yet. Uh, so congratulations. Mm-hmm. But well, I, thank you very much. Yeah. I'm finding that um, the show is about people primarily. Mm-hmm. And when you meet somebody's parents, 
sometimes you're just like, oh, I see why you are the way you are now. Like it is very mm-hmm. obvious. When you meet someone's environment, when you meet someone's topography, mm-hmm. that yeah. also like embeds itself in them. And so I, wow. I get the, the dirt. Lyric. Yeah, the dirt. The Yeah, we start, you know, we go back to that dirt when we die. Right? Yeah. The temperature, <laughs> the, 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 the dew point, you know, there's, there's yeah. something about um, libertarian ideas that come out of Idaho mm. that I understand more having spent time with this rancher on his thousand acres. I love that segment, by the way. And it's like, of course, I would... I don't want to buy sneaking up on me either. There's a lot going on out here. So he thinks yeah. the East Coast is just claustrophobic, even outdoor East Coast. These trees are up on me. Somebody could be behind them. I like to yeah. see a distance. So it's a right. suspicious mindset. But there's something about the like the history of this land is in us. And it's not just the history of ideas and the history of people and philosophies. It's the history of topography and topology mm. and ecology. And we carry that too. And so mm-hmm. like reconnecting with that, it just made, it makes the country make more sense. Uh. And that, that was really helpful to me because I'm running around a lot of the times like, what is going on? Who are these people? How are we even in the same country? And then I see how you came up and I, I feel mm-hmm. the air that you're breathing. And it's different air than I breathe. It's literally different air, even though it's the same nation. So that was, that yeah. was pretty useful when metaphor became actualized. It made me appreciate a lot of things too. Mm. Um, and like, I've always, I, I shouldn't say I've always said this, but you know, there's controversy over the national anthem, you know, say, can you see those? I've always felt America the Beautiful was a better anthem mm. because it, it's a, it's kind of what your show talks about. It talks about the, the topography of the country as this beautiful landscape, basically America the Beautiful. Yeah. It's not a political statement. It's a statement of the place itself, which I think is actually to me a more unifying theme than than a battle, which is fine. It's historical, but <laughs> right. but it's also it's also fraught with political, you know, things in it. But as a historical piece, fine. It is what it is. Whatever. We can yeah. digest it. But there's no there's no fighting over Purple Mountain's majesty, you know? <laughs> I mostly agree with you on that. I think I I said something in one of the episodes that I didn't intend. I have a lot of these um so the improvised straight to camera moments, like to the audience mm. where I'm just reflecting on what I'm seeing. And those are not scripted. They're just like me riffing in the moment uh, on, on how I'm actually feeling. And one of the things I felt was we are very diverse and often very divided, but we literally have this common ground that can bring us together. Uh, mm. And then this, this country is predicated on an idea. You know, it's pretty, right. it's still pretty radical. To like not yes. have it just be about religion or just be about race. It's it's an idea. Or land. Or land. But, right. but the appreciation of the land, this idea that you're floating, America the beautiful, as something that can bind us, that mm. was another common thread across. I could pick people who looked really different in one dimension, but they're both deeply uh, aware of how shaped they are by the natural world. They're deeply sad in, in almost all cases about what we've done to it. And, mm-hmm. and people who on this show wouldn't say climate change are still scared. You know, their towns mm-hmm. are disappearing in the case of Tangier Island out in the Chesapeake. Because you're Bay. taking the politics out of it. Yeah. You're dealing it's just with the, like, the thing itself. I don't right. know. What's, I'm not really down with John Kerry. Okay. Whatever. The UN, blah, blah, blah. But I had mm-hmm. to exhume my ancestors because the graveyard is now the shoreline. 
And I'm worried that the town I'm the mayor of won't exist. So I'm the mayor of nothing. People are leaving the island because there's literally less of it to go around. That that's that sentiment from one of the Trumpiest towns in America was mirrored Mm -hmm. by the Shoshone Bannock people in Idaho and their relationship with the salmon that has sustained them. They they refer to them as brother Mm -hmm. salmon. And we were supposed to watch this join the salmon hunt. Um, and they called it off like the day we showed up and we had to film something different because there weren't enough salmon. And so they're, they're losing their family and they're like, we're not going to take more when there's so little left. And the salmon mm-hmm. that they found were so soft because the river was essentially slowly cooking these fish. So that the, the, the emotional shared reality is still possible even as the factual shared reality is very much fraying under all this fragmentation and extremism and everything else. How much do you think nature can play a part in uniting people? Do you think it can play a part or are you just, you know, you're this stranger coming in talking to people and nature's a way you can have honest conversations, I guess, but do you think it can actually play a part yeah. Maybe with ways that people can come together. Just curious to get your point of view on that. I think it, it has to play a part. I think we have to remember that na- we are a part of nature, not apart from nature. Right. And there's literally lessons in nature that we've been mm-hmm. ignoring because we've only seen nature as this economic asset to extract. Yes, that's true. <laughs> right. As opposed to this part of us that we yeah. need to relate to. So regenerative agriculture is this practice essentially of capturing more carbon than you emit in the process of generating food. Is that a new term, regenerative agriculture? It actually isn't. It's an Mm -hmm. ancient term. Okay. It's an ancient term. It's newly in vogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is how a lot of indigenous folks managed and handled the land Mm -hmm. uh, before another worldview, you know, came to the fore that was like, this land is only valuable if it's productive you know? and, right. and we can measure that productivity and gross domestic product and, right. and vehicles shipped and all kinds of other, you know, superficial, harder numbers, but you can measure regeneration and we can restore land. We can restore forest. We can bring wetlands back mm. that sort of regeneration. So there's a family in Northern Minnesota doing it with forests. They are anticipating that the forest that they're in, this is Finland, Minnesota, will die because of climate change. These trees are not evolved to handle higher temperatures, but other trees can. So they're breeding new trees and working with the trees to create a new forest. Mm-hmm. I found a similar story in Appalachia, a similar story with some of the indigenous folk. What we can do with the land, and when we practice that, we can also do it ourselves. It's very similar to the concept of restorative justice, uh-huh. right? That we don't throw anything away. Right. We don't throw we don't throw a food scraps away. We compost that, right. and it becomes you know f- fuel and food for the plants that we can eat. We don't throw people away. Right? We mm-hmm. can rehabilitate that. Right. We can reintegrate that. And none of us is fully good or fully bad. Um, so there's there's just I think it goes past metaphor. If we relate more respectfully t- to nature, we can relate more respectfully to each other. Mm-hmm. And and we can get out of our heads, you know, where a lot of battles happen and we invent a lot of stuff and we can get back into our bodies and mm-hmm. into our hands and, and get grounded again. And it's just, we can have fun, man. Like mm-hmm. these trees, um, something else I've found making the show, I'm like trees are more than timber. They're our lungs beyond our bodies. 
And if we see it as that, then we're on the same team. So this is all very aspirational, mm-hmm. but I think we need aspiration. You know, we never really reach the aspiration, but you know, we aim for that more perfect union. And I believe that a relationship with nature is an essential part of reconnecting with each other um, and trying to create, yeah. you know, a functional, healthy democracy again. I love that, you know, and there's so many unintended consequences of not respecting nature. You know, I was when you were talking about regenerative uh, agriculture and and just extracting something from the land as a one way situation, you know, it's like yeah. we want to get as much. That's basically what caused the Dust Bowl of the 30s, you know, and, All, and, it's, and it's what's caused climate yeah. change in the big picture. Yeah. But yeah, we, we drained you know, a whole region of the country, yeah. dried it out. Yeah. And then you got, you know, these winds, you've got stripped the land bare. Uh, so so that's that's the sad news. Uh-huh. But the good news is we can reverse it. Uh-huh. You know, we can, we can reverse some of these effects of climate change. We can restore mm-hmm. some of these natural environments. We can regenerate, you know, the earth and ourselves. And uh, even little stories of that with all the doom and gloom headlines that we're getting these days, I think this show um, showed me that we, we still can do, we can still do good things. Right. We're, there's, there's hope left. Yeah. What are some of the, what are some of the micro ways that you, found out where you can do those things as opposed to like the, the big government ways or whatever. Like, so I'm thinking about the LA river, um, and, and answer to that. Oh, question. that was fascinating. I just watched it. I'm from here. And I'm like, first of all, I'm watching it go, this is disgusting bear today. Why are you in this sewer? You guys are fishing in a sewer. Basically. It like, yeah. we, we, we were fishing in, uh, in an aqueduct, uh, in, in the LA river down, yes, we shot, that, shot that down by Long Beach That's what you want to call it. and it is wild to kind of, I'm in waders. I'm fly fishing with this man, Lino Jubilato, who's kind of like the fishing captain of the LA river. He takes a lot of people out for free. It's just this passion. Now explain to people what LA river actually means. Cause you're saying river and I know that's what it's called, but it's not quite that. It's really like, uh, to me, it's a glorified curb, you know, <laughs> it's like. <laughs> I, for context, I did not grow up in LA. I grew up in Washington right. DC. Then I lived in uh, Boston for 12 years, New York for 12 years. I'm pretty we had actual rivers. Yeah, actual rivers. So I, I came to the West mm-hmm. Coast, which has a generally arrogant perspective on its natural landscapes. You know, we got the Rocky Mountains, blah, blah, blah. We got the Pacific Ocean, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. And I was just like, this is not a river. This is a drainage pipe. Y'all are tripping. Right. This is very Hollywood of you to, to have this hallucinogenic idea. So I had a condescending attitude toward it. But we do have some awesome topography here, though. You do, but but the river... It's a fake river. Let me tell part of the history, at least. So the Los Angeles River was an actual river before they built up L.A. There was a massive flood, you know, decades and decades ago, killed a lot of people, destroyed a lot of property. We bring in the Army Corps of Engineers, tame this river, Mm -hmm. control it. And so they create this, you know, basically this concrete embankment system that we see it in the Terminator movies. And, and it becomes a storm overflow system, just washing things out. No wildlife. Almost like a, a drain in some ways. Right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Now, it's still called the L.A. River. There's been so many people fighting to restore the L.A. River. Mm-hmm. Mayors have joined on to this. Companies have joined on to this. Citizen volunteers. I spent time with one of them, this dude, George Wolf who's part of this LA river restoration project. And they set out to prove we still have a river. 
Okay, it doesn't just have to be fenced off. We have a, a moving waterway, and the U.S. federal government has a technical definition of a river. It's got to be navigable. Right, you got to be able to get in like a watercraft and go down the river, <laughs> rolling down the river. So they did this. They, they broke into the river. The, the whole thing was fenced off. You're not supposed to go in. So they got their wire cutters, you know, fence cutters, and they sneak into the river and they stage this guerrilla kayaking expedition over the course of several days. Wow. And they actually go down the entire river. Mm -hmm. They get the certification from, I can't remember which federal department it is, and that accelerates the process of bringing life back to the river. Where does the LA River, like what area does it cover? You said Long Beach? So it, it ends in the Pacific Ocean in Long Beach, you know, down by Long Beach. Long Beach. I cannot remember where the headwaters are. That, that okay. I'd have to send you to, to versions of Google for that. It's a pretty big distance we're it's talking about. It's a very here. big distance. Yeah. And mm -hmm. parts of it feel absolutely wild and beautiful, mm. as beautiful as anything. I played a game when I was shooting the, the series in the summer 2021. I would just take one still shot, post it to my Instagram, hashtag America Outdoors PBS. Where do you think I am? That's great. I love that. Yeah. And I, I have this shot from, I'm in the middle of a body of water. Everything is green all around me. There's a beautiful bend in the waterway. And folks are like, I think that's probably like rural Georgia. Somebody's like, that is definitely South Carolina. I've been there. I know exactly where you are. Right. It was the LA River. Wow. And, and the only people who knew it were folks who were on the show and a couple of folks who knew there are these pockets. And it's just right. It's so un, un, inglorious, unglamorous, because it's like the intersection. I'm still new to these freeways, but it's, I don't know. It's like the, the biggest interchange of highways in the country. Mm -hmm. And it's somewhere like in the middle of LA County on the Northern side, right? Mm -hmm. I live over in Highland Park. It's not that far East. It's not as far West as Santa Monica. It's like somewhere in between and a little above like West of Burbank, mm -hmm. maybe the 110 connects with the 105. I don't know. It's a lot of roads, but we just whip off of that two little turns and then you drop down and it's just heaven. Wow. And there's wild birds and there's fish. And yes, there's the it's occasional crazy. shopping cart. There's the occasional shopping yeah. cart and, and oddly placed underwear. You know, like yeah. it's still a city. It's still yeah. an urban environment, but it's also, oh, it's freaking beautiful. So the show was also like a good reminder. We don't have to go that far. Yeah. We don't yeah. have to go all the way to Idaho right. and to a, a thousand acre ranch to feel this. Some of us, you know, can get in our backyard. Some of us can take a bus or a train or a bike to a park you know, and, and feel some yeah. version of it. Yeah. That's great. Well, let me ask you, how do you guys pick a city or a region? Like what went into, because what did you do? Five or six episodes for this first run? We did six episodes. Okay. So what yeah. went into the choosing of these places? Was there any oh, yeah, there, uh, yeah. thought behind which places you wanted to go? So the first thought was, I'm not getting on a plane mm -hmm. uh, because it's COVID. So we oh, got to yeah. do something I can drive to. You know, we started filming on a delay in May, 2021, I committed to the show in 2018. Oh, the COVID man, Jesus <laughs> right? Christ. And then, you know, delay pre-production, we're ready to go. And then COVID, bam, right as we were supposed to get started. So one thing was just my safety and the safety of everybody involved. Mm -hmm. um, there was a desire to capture different geographies because like the mountain West is really different. <laughs> Um, from, from the East coast kind of swampy vibe. Yeah. 
And so we got like, we want to get high, we want to get low, we want to get east, we want to get west. Mm -hmm. um, I was, I, I insisted on Minnesota. Um, I wanted central time zone. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm personally deeply in love with the boundary waters. I've been there with my family. And you know, Twin Cities is the producing station. They were classic Midwestern nice. They didn't want to promote themselves. <laughs> you know, I was like, Put yourself on TV, y'all. Put yourself on TV. I'm a big fan of Minnesota, and I was married my in my in laws and lived in Minnesota. I fell in love with that place. It's great. Yes, it is. Yes, it. Mm -hmm. So, so there was that, and then um, you know, production company ultimately made most of these choices. So it was uh, availability of people to put in the show in terms of the participants, okay. timing, all that kind of stuff. But I think we did a pretty good job. There's some obvious holes in our map for the first season. Pacific mm -hmm. Northwest, I, I'm personally also deeply in love with, and it's got a so very much to see up there. Yeah, absolutely. unique vibe. And then, yeah. you know, the South, the, the deep South and, mm -hmm. and from from Texas all the way over to Florida, we, we hit North Carolina and Southern Virginia. Mm -hmm. uh, so we kind of it's super Southern adjacent. But there's a lot of stuff going on down in the Gulf, you know, the Gulf region. Right. Didn't didn't hit any of that. Um, and then New England, you know, uh, as a as a 12 year New Yorker, as a 12 year Bostonian, I'm just like, there is mad, beautiful stuff going on from, you know, basically like Delaware to Maine and, and in the New England area, North Atlantic that I would love to get to, which is why we need many more seasons of the show. So I, yeah. I, hope, yeah. I hope we get that. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. You're a powerhouse of a person balancing it all. Work, life, family, podcast. And your ride should be no different. The 2024 Hyundai Sonata Hybrid is a powerhouse of a sedan that meets all your needs. With the sleek front end, plus stylish interior, an available 12.3-inch digital instrument cluster, and seamless tech integration. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the new 2024 Hyundai Sonata Hybrid. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less, and one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans at Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. What were some of the biggest eye openers for you? The biggest surprise where you were like, wow, I didn't see this coming at all. I didn't see the Great Dismal Swamp coming. This, uh, did you happen to see that episode? This is the Tidewater. Oh, no, I didn't see Tidewater, no. 
You want to explain that to us? What what is that? This will be this will be new. Good. We shot a full week in the region called Tidewater. It's basically Chesapeake Bay down just past the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Okay, got it. And it's wet. It's humid. It's swampy. And in one case, literally swampy. There's a place called the Great Dismal Swamp. Mm. And it, it, it um, spans Southern Virginia and Northern North Carolina. It used to be much larger than it is today. Back during our founding, it was about 2,000 square miles. Mm-hmm. George Washington himself uh, was a businessman. All of our founders were actually businessmen. I mean, they liked freedom and whatnot, mm-hmm. but it was like free enterprise mm-hmm. was a big part of it. And, and George Washington was a, a shareholder in this company uh, that was whose mission was to literally drain the swamp. Mm, that's where that term comes from. Not right? a, not a yeah, metaphor. That's great. Now, we're going to drain this swamp and we're going to monetize this swamp. And we're going to do the only thing we know how to do, uh, which is force uh, people uh, for no compensation at great cost to their humanity and mm-hmm. ours uh, to, to grow cotton, tobacco, and sugar. I guess that's all we know how to do. So they try and try. They get people like us to dig these ditches through and try to make it navigable and have these canals. And in the long run, they don't succeed in taming this mm-hmm. swamp. And if you look at early American history literature, there's actually a book called White Trash I read many years ago explaining like poor white America and the, and the origin story, like why the North and the South are so mm-hmm. different culturally. The Great Dismal Swamp features prominently in, in that book. So it's wild to them. It is evil to them. There's monsters in there, thickets and thorns and mosquitoes and panthers, which means it's perfect for us. <laughs> That's great. So we start setting up these maroon colonies of people escaping slavery. Over the course of nearly a century, 50,000 of us live in this swamp, either long-term or as a way station on the Underground Railroad. Wow. And there are these elevated islands in the swamp that you can live on. And, and wow. part of the reason that they could live there is because they found the, the remnants of the indigenous societies that had lived in the swamp. Right. So they're, they're reusing, recycling wow. you know, this, this other culture, these displaced people. Yeah. Uh, so so the, the stolen land people connect with the stolen people, people right, right, and have this conversation across time in the same place. I got to go there. I got That's to fascinating. be introduced yeah. to it by this brother yeah. who's a, a descendant of Moses Grandy who worked in the swamp um, mm-hmm. as a boatman. And then I went deep into it with an archeologist who spent 15 years documenting it, finding artifacts. I found an artifact in the swamp like I, I was like, what's that over there? And he's like, <laughs> I'm like, that looked like something. That looked like something. <laughs> and it wasn't staged. Like it was amazing. And so we're going through this swamp. It feels like the Dagobah system. In Star and did Wars. you, the Dagobah system. And did <laughs> yeah. you have chills as you're doing this? I mean, cause some of that you got to think, man, you know, cause history starts, you know, getting on your shoulders when you're in areas like yes. that, right? You, you know what I mean? So my initial approach was one of like, how do I not get bit by something, right? That's like, mm. we're going, I don't hang out in swamps very often. I grew up right. in DC, so there's a metaphorical swamp. It's very humid and we had a lot of mosquitoes, Absolutely. lightning bugs and all Absolutely. that. But I don't purposely go wading into literal swamps. So right. I have the same waders on that I used in the LA River, all right, cleaned. And, and so I'm wading through the swamp. I am feeling like it's either Yoda's training ground or right. where that giant rock monster lives in the never ending story. Like it's some 
hybrid version of that scene. <laughs> and, you know, you like step, sometimes you put your foot down and it keeps going, you know? Uh-huh. And so I'm sinking like sometimes up to my, my hips, and my chest in muck. Foot keep going. <laughs> yes, yes. It's foggy, misty, and, and a little drizzly. All the things that a swap should be, sounds like. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I'm sorry, hear voices. I know. So we, get, we, are, we see this island. Uh, Dan Sayer is the archaeologist who points it out. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even noticed it. It's very subtle. And then when you see it, it's obvious. Mm. But you, sometimes you need somebody to show it to you. Yeah. And I was like, okay, here, here. So I'm in the mood now of show TV show person. Right. I got my crew, got the sound person, everybody's like, we're going to go to this uh, island. And my producer, Brent Larash, who's also a biologist, he walked barefoot through the whole swamp. He just rolled up his pants and was like, I love it. I love the muck. I'm just like, bro, what do you, what do you, I mean, he's the guy who literally picks up snakes and like Mm-mm. talks about what they're doing, their mating rituals and all this stuff. Mm-mm. So he loves the outdoors. He was a perfect producer for half of this series. They had a different producer on, on the other half who was perfect in other ways. Anyway, Brent says to me, do you want a moment to just go alone? And the show host in me was like, why would I do it alone? Eric, filming or it didn't happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the black person in me was like, oh, <laughs> thank you. And uh, everybody just hung back and I just approached and I stepped up onto this island, Larry. Mm-hmm. And I, this is no exaggeration. The sun came out. Wow. And I just fell to a knee and I cried. Wow. Just feeling the presence. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I am standing on the ground of survivors, mm. you know, of freedom seeking people yeah. whose determination is why I am here. And maybe may adjacent, maybe literal. Mm-hmm. You know, if I were able to dust off enough of the paperwork, I might find that my own ancestors Absolutely. are descended from people who made a pit stop through this swamp on their way to something a little more free. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I felt American history. I felt black history. I felt my ancestors. I felt immense gratitude. Mm. And I was just like, how do you, I complain about so much, you know, and you live here for years. There's plenty of creatures, no comfort. And so the other dramatic realization was that this was better. Wow. This place with all the monsters and the leeches and the disease and the humidity was better than that hell. Yeah. That they called free. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. They were the monsters. George Washington, his world was more monstrous than this place, you know, he dubbed full of monsters. You're crushing me right now. Yeah. This is crushing me right now. I had had to let it out. And I, I want that. And it was a really important reconnection. You know, we black folk, we got a complex mm-hmm. relationship with outdoors in America, in the United States of America, because that's the scene of the crime for us. Yeah, That's where we were forced, you know, to build a nation against our will that's right. and, and stripped from our families and, and raped and brutalized that's and right. then lynched, you know, mm-hmm. uh, off the land and, and had the land that we reclaimed taken from us and scorched earth and send us to places like Chicago where we don't belong. It's too damn cold. <laughs> you know, all of that. All of, and we pay taxes and then they don't let us use the parks. Like, so the simplicity of like, how come black people don't camp? 
why don't black people swim is a fucking stupid question if you know the history. Mm. And a lot of us don't even fully reckon with the complexity of that relationship and the fact that the land and our relationship with nature was taken from us. We brought some of that with us. We brought gumbo. We brought rice. We brought all this because we knew how to talk to the plants. We knew how to relate to them in a different way. And they took that shit from us too. So I'm out here with black surfers and black adventure runners and ultra marathoners. And I'm just like, this is part of the reparation. This is part of the repair and the healing that we need for us. Has nothing to do with white people now. Mm -hmm. It has to do with like reclaiming part of ourselves, you know, to, to be more whole. So that swamp unlocked a lot. (laughs) Like it still makes me emotional feeling what I felt there. And I hope some of that translates through the footage to to people watching at home. I mean, that's fascinating. I'm hanging on every word you're saying. I feel like, um, you know, you almost need to take people physically through a tour of this place, you know, (laughs) like it's a whole different type of tour. You know, of learning it, about something. That's because true. You're right. That's the true. physicalization, there's something about being in a place that makes something more. I was shooting a movie last August. We were outside of Atlanta and we were in this real small town. And someone mentioned, yeah, Larry, this used to be a sundown town. And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, because mm. I think about that shit anyway when I'm in places like that. I'm like, yeah. okay, how... What's the expiration date on the racism in this town? You know, <laughs> like, and has have we not reached that expiration date yes, yet? You know, yes. And when somebody said sundown, and it said so casually, like people mm-hmm. have to know, yeah, black people. If you were here after sundown, you were probably going to get lynched. There's a yeah. price to be paid for that, and that shit wasn't that long ago. And it's one thing to hear that, but it's another thing to be in the actual environment. And to think, well, where was somebody running? You know, where was somebody caught? And to think about, I mean, the way you described it is so profound, Bertina, that that was better than the other. I mean, as a, I mean, that's devastating. And 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 there's there's trauma in the land. Mm. You know, there was the land itself. The land itself bore Mm. witness to this. Mm -hmm. I mean, these trees were conscripted into torture. Mm. No no tree wants to be a lynching device. Mm. That is not why they're here. The the trees have many more valuable lessons to teach us. So they were made complicit in this monstrosity as well. And so we owe each other a, a different kind of conversation, mm. you know, a different kind of relationship. We all got to heal from that. Ooh, this is me making the sounds of this brother's preaching, yo. <laughs> Independence weekend preaching about it. I mean, we got we got Ooh. no time, and we got all the time in the world, you know, at the same time. But you're 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 pulling it out of me. I'll be, you know, I the swamp story is my go-to story for this series. It's fascinating. But even this idea of like trees being conscripted into torture. That's a that's a that's uh, black on the air premiere. That's an exclusive. You know that you you help bring that. Is out that your and, extrapolation? Yeah. Is that your, your yeah? That's yeah. Just now, I, I love yeah. that. That I've never heard that before. I mean, yeah, I, I just I felt it. Just remembering and thinking about this. It's the strange fruit of today. You know, it's the, yeah. You yeah. know, it's bringing that forward oh, on the poplar tree. Yeah, you know, and not political. That's the important thing. Like, I like yeah. taking things out of the political context because politics, to me, there's something to be gained from politics that is a binary. This, this stupid little game. But 
Yeah. I think people need different understandings of things that aren't political. They're just, you know, like, that's why I love topography, that this is taking place mm. with with the land. And the way you're talking about trees, I've never heard this conversation before, Rare <laughs> today. Yeah, that's, well, we've never had it before. Yeah. And the, your point about politics is, you know, we're, I think we're both very political mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Um, I, I am explicitly bluish. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very angry saddened, offended by a lot of what's happening in our political system that doesn't really serve the people anymore. Sure. And there are many different ways to connect and have a conversation Mm -hmm. and to to still find ways to humanize each other. It it was a lesson actually that Obama indirectly taught me. Mm. It was, I had an earlier version of this that wasn't so much about nature, but it was about leaving the screens behind. 2007, 2008, I'm one of a pretty small group of black bloggers. You mentioned it in the intro, just Jack and Jill mm-hmm. politics blog. Right. No relation to the Jack and Jill of America. Right, right, right. I was going to say, for people that know that. Yeah, disclaimer. Mm-hmm. But I was fire and brimstone. I, I'm on mm-hmm. the Daily Coast website, screeds on screeds on screeds. Uh, George W. Bush, war criminal, Republicans, monsters, blah, blah. And then I go volunteer for Obama in Virginia, in Texas, in Pennsylvania, and I remember the early realization is very hard to talk shit to someone when you're on their front porch. And it's just the temperature has to come down. Mm-hmm. Now, now, today that temperature is arising. You know, the level of political violence is actually much higher today than it was in 2007, 2008. But still, I go to Tangier Island, and that was the most conservative place. Mm-hmm. The mayor, James Eskridge, everybody just calls him Uker. He's just Uker. He's just not even mayor, he's just Uker. They should take a look at this. Mm-hmm. He was like on broad on cable news as the Trumpiest mayor, you know, in America. Mm-hmm. His town, the percentage voting was so high, and he did his like kind of you know people. Donald likes when people give him a lot of love, and then he bestows grace upon them like like a king. Mm-hmm. And so Uker says some real flattering things, and Trump calls him. You know, and that, that phone call is like on Fox News somewhere. So this is where I'm going. I, we're, we're taking a boat from the, from the shoreline into this, the island in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay. The, the boatman who takes us there has this very unique accent. These people, this island has been pretty isolated since the founding, mm-hmm. almost like a Galapagos level isolation. Sure. So their accent is more Cornwall, England than like American South or, or mid, mid-Atlantic area. Mm-hmm. And I see Trump signs, you know, it's like, that's the welcome, you know, American flags, Trump signs, occasional fuck Biden flags, you know, not even let's go Brandon, just like direct. (laughs) And this dude is super hospitable, you know, and I see his, I see his crab shack. I I go out on his boat with him. I help him pull in the stuff talk about his relationship with his son. He showed me these graves and whatnot. And we're having this conversation. That doesn't make me think, well, I'm going to vote like him, (laughs) you know, or I I approve of his political stance, but it does remind me that he's a human being. Mm -hmm. And and that is important for all of us to keep in mind. You know, I think some of these rulings coming out of the Supreme Court feel very dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. And you're like, they don't see us as people anymore. They don't see women as people capable of making their own decisions. They don't see black folks as people. They're willing to let the cops just shoot us up. Uh, All of this. And then we, in turn can be like, they're just monsters, you know, and they're not people and they have no humanity. Where's your humanity at? It's in there. It's in there for all of us. It takes a lot to bring it out. It takes a lot to insist that we see it even in our opponents, but I'm committed to maintaining that humanity 
even as I fight. Um, and the show, it just, it gave me another way to do that mm. um, with, with encounters like, like my time with Uker. And we're not best buds, but we had a lot of laughs. He made me a great, you know, well, he didn't make me, he hooked me up with a great crab crab sandwich, you know, a crab cake sandwich, some of the best I've ever had, because mm-hmm. that's what they do there. Mm-hmm. And we, and uh, I think we felt each other's, you know, humanness for a bit. Yeah. How important do you think it is? And I appreciate you taking the time yeah, man. on this uh, Saturday morning, this weekend. By the way, I'm sad that we haven't had a conversation before this. It's so great talking to you, man. This- you too. You too. Well, you, you and your people, you put me on the nightly show before anybody put me on any show like that. And we had a good time there. I had a oh, great time. I had a great time. I loved having you on there. With Neil, yeah. with like, it was a whole fun crew. And it was obviously that format's very uh, tight. Yeah. So I love this. We got some runway. You know, we could, we exactly. could, we could soar a little bit on this one. So thank you for, for the invitation. Of course. Yeah. I'm a fan from way back. You know, just you have that effect on people. I think. <laughs> You know, immediately you just, oh, well, this brother's interesting, you know. <laughs> no, it's, Thanks, it's a great quality to have. Um, but I wanted to ask you, um, how important do you think it is for Americans to learn more about America? <laughs> you know, and from all these different standpoints you're talking about, because like as black people, for instance, we've always had a fraught conversation over being proud of our country. You know, some people, it's easier for them to say, by the way, I used to always have a flag on my house when I was back in my married days. And for me, it was just my declaration because I I hated people telling me that I couldn't love my country and didn't love it. It's like, no, it has flaws and it has warts, but I have as much ownership as anybody else. I think it was kind of my statement about Mm -hmm. that, you know, Mm -hmm. but I'd like to hear that from you because I think especially as a black American and sure every American has a different relationship, but we've always had the toughest relationship with that statement. Let's say, have you had any revelations about that by connecting to America as a place and doing that? Or do you have anything to say on that? I I have plenty to say on that. Thank you for that one, man. Um, I have also shared this complex relationship with Mm -hmm. the country. I grew up, skeptical of America because my mother was honest with me about America and you can't know the whole story and just be sort of blindly loyal to that. Right. Blind loyalty can't work. No, no. It's like, I know too much. Too too much. much. Yes. (laughs) Sorry. The the, the mystique is gone. Might be good for a while. Maybe when you're a kid. I see without the makeup. Yeah. It's not going to work forever. I remember, um, being a high school student going to one of these scholarship fairs to try to pay for college mm-hmm. and all kinds of different people, speech competitions and athletic stuff. And there was a military booth there and this military recruiter, you know, I was walking right by, I had no interest in serving in the Imperial army, you know, as, as I would describe it then. And, uh, this brother pulled me aside. He's like, blah, blah, blah. We can get you paid this, this and that, you know, pay for college. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty simple for me. I, I don't want to kill people. And, and he was like, well, mm-hmm. no, you don't have to kill people. You could work in like IT, you know, you could do this and that. I'm like, yeah, but I would just be serving the larger aim of killing people. And I'm, I'm really trying to kill people for this country. You know? Facilitating that. Yeah. Yes. It's like, he just didn't know what to do with me. I just kept it moving. You know, my mom was like this really important relationship for me. And, you know, single black mother, DC, 80s, crack wars, blah, blah. 
She was a computer programmer. She worked for the federal government, like mm -hmm. every black person in D.C., uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> either the D.C. government or the federal government. The importance of civil service jobs, by the way, in the black community. Don't sleep on that. Right. Absolutely. And, and, when, and, and when people talk about like shutting down the government, they're also just talking about hurting black people. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> Um, and, and it's black people that get you your social security checks. So right. remember that. You know, we or when people are snotty about <laughs> these government jobs that yeah. people have, that's just like, fuck you. These are the only jobs we could get for a while, you know, because you, because you motherfuckers wouldn't hire us in the private sector. Exactly. You were right. only willing to have us work for you if it was for free. <laughs> exactly. <right? laughs> or humiliating. Not, that is not valuable. <laughs> so, so my mom is this hero figure and, and I knew the sacrifice she made at almost every point, even during childhood, I could see mm. like her going to PTA meetings on sprained ankles. I could see, you know, the bankruptcy declaration. Only I was a second child, my, okay. my sister Belinda, nine years older. So because of that okay, gap, gap, I was raised alone, sure. you know, for a big part of my childhood. And, um, I had time during COVID to just sit with myself too much time. I never would have chosen this time. And I was starting to find these like parts of me that I didn't like mm. so much, you know, things in my marriage were coming up. Mm. I'm like, this is impeding my growth. Why am I like this? And it was my mom. <laughs> and that was like a very painful realization. Mm. Cause I was like, oh, this hero of mine, this near perfect saintly figure who sacrificed and died very young. She died at 65 of colon cancer. Oh, she has not seen me literally, spiritually she's seen me since 2005. And a lot's happened since 2005. So I'm just like rec wrestling with my hero being fallible. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it hurts a ton until I realized like, oh, I was not really allowing her to be a person with all that praise. Even the way I write about her in How to Be Black is super simplistic. You know, my sister pointed this out to me. She's like, you got a version of our mother in the book, but there's a whole nother Arnita. Seeing your parents as people is a big deal. Yeah. yeah. So my sister got a version of my mom that I didn't get a much rougher around the edges, mm -hmm. partying, weed smoking, you know, physical punishment mom. Mm. I got the hippie tofu eating Sierra Club <laughs> mom. And they're both Arnita. Yeah. And she is all of that. And when I was realizing during COVID, like, oh, my mom couldn't teach me some things because she was never taught. And I have to like release her from this expectation that she's got to be perfect in my memory for my life to make sense. That was super liberating. It was very hard for like many months, you know, therapy stuff, crying, all this, all this stuff that comes along with these deep emotions of hurt, but then relief. And then like, oh, if I give her more space to be human, I'm giving myself more space to be human. So I've become more forgiving of myself in the process of seeing her full humanity. That was a breakthrough for me. Cause I was like, Oh, America, can we love our country the way we love our mothers in that full sense, the way we love our children, mm -hmm. the way we love anybody, which is to deeply know them mm. and, and the best loving relationships. They don't have to be romantic. They can be parental, sibling, fraternal, you know, we know, that other person really well. And we know their, their sins. Mm -hmm. We know their crimes. We know their shame, their mm -hmm. errors and all their successes and their failures and vice versa. We let them know us. You know, my wife knows stuff about me. You will never know Larry, right? Mm -hmm. Cause <laughs> this is a public conversation. I it's am partially performing, which yeah. you right? <laughs> and, and I used to perform in my relationships mm. Mm. and thinking that that was the key to love, you know, just mm. be liked. 
be liked. Because there's a contract you're delivering on that contract of the person that you promised to be for this person. You're delivering on that in the performative aspect. So I think a lot of Americans are performing love for their country mm. in the shallow sense of only seeing the good parts mm -hmm. and thinking that that commitment to only see the positive is patriotism. Mm. It is not. In an interpersonal comparison, if I'm loving you just for the good things you do and even more for the good feelings you give me, I'm using you. I'm not actually loving you. I don't even know you. Yeah. And this is, I've learned this in my closest relationships. You've got to see the bad parts. You've got to see the shadow and acknowledge right. that. Otherwise, you don't even know the person you say you love. And that's true for countries too. Countries are just people, collective selves. So I think black Americans, to the contrary of a lot of our angst, you know, are in the best position to truly love America because we truly know America. Mm -hmm. And that, that patriotism runs deeper. And I survived that episode of shock, you know, and hurt at my mother's mm -hmm. full story. I'm still intact. I'm still here. I'm actually stronger. And even though she's dead, can't have a conversation with her directly about any of this. Mm -hmm. I love her more now. So there's a lot of, especially white Americans, deeply afraid that criticism of America equals hatred of America mm -hmm. and, and inability to love. And they think the only way to love is to ignore all the bad parts when the direct opposite is true. And I think they are, they're somewhat rationally afraid of, but ultimately not serving them. That if they start to acknowledge all these crimes and all these sins, they will fall apart because they depend on a story where America is the good guy. It's the city on the hill. It's the beacon of light. It's the champion of free peoples around the world. And that can't be true if all these other things are true as well, which means their whole being, which they've wrapped up in that story much more than we have, collapses and they don't exist. Yeah. And that is a terrifying to strip your whole identity down like that. But I am here in a small way to offer up the opposite story. I am more me. I am more Arnita's son. I love my mother more now. And we are closer for me yeah. having acknowledged all of her. And then with mm -hmm. that, it allows me to try to be a little bit better. So it's, it's, a, it's a liberation that's of a different kind. And I think, you know, the people who scream the most about freedom are the most willing to hold themselves captive to lies. Mm. True freedom is truth and it can hurt. And so there's this other tension where we, a lot of us think that we have a right to avoid all discomfort. And if it feels bad, then we got to launch missiles and drones. Against get rid of that. <laughs> yes. that is not America. Mm -hmm. I, I need to be comfortable all the time. Texas is legislating white children's comfort. Mm -hmm. You cannot teach anything which makes a child feel bad about themselves. They never did that for us. It was the opposite. You can yeah. only teach things that make little black boys and black girls feel bad about themselves because that's mm -hmm. the only way they knew to feel good about themselves. So they tied up dehumanizing us with dehumanizing themselves 
And then they called that love. And it's very twisted. And it's an illness. And it's a prison. And it's a trap. Doesn't make mm-hmm. them evil. Makes them lost. Yeah. I want them to find their way to a deeper love. And as we're talking on this, you know, Independence Day, 4th of July weekend, there's no better time to be having this conversation. I agree. I've always felt that one of the problems as I reflect on it now even is that uh, the love for the country, especially by, I'll say, the the white establishment people, it's always been from an ownership standpoint. Yeah. You know, it's like, who does it belong to? It's always been a possessive thing. And it's always been connected to the past. I call it time machine ideology. You know, Mm. there's this idealized time that represents the purest form of ownership for the country. Let's just say where I think it should get away from an ownership mentality to a um, dressing the table mentality. Like what can we make this country as opposed to what, was this country or what can we get back to, but what can we make it? And that's what I love about like this conversation talking to you. When you focus on the land itself, like we started with an idea, but we can get to something else just because we started there. Yeah. We don't have to stay there. I have a very short uh, attention span for originalist conversations. I'm like, (laughs) Oh yes. Because I'm like, I respect that. But originalist means it's a starting point. You know, yes. that's it, why we have that's why we have amendments to the Constitution. You know, yes, that's why we have yes. the Bill of Rights. You know, um, it's a start, you know, but I think how we maintain pride of the country is a different idea from ownership. Pride to me is making your bed now. It's cleaning your house now, you know, mm. is making the place nice. And that's something that we all can share in. And that's what builds pride to me, you know. America the beautiful. That's why I go back to that phrase. It's yeah. not about it's not about a battle. That was I get that. That's originalist, but I think there's a different conversation going forward, which is more about, you know, the place itself. There's a linguistic turn that's occurring to me, and it's it's kind of JFK inspired. Mm-hmm. If I said I don't own America, mm-hmm. I belong to America. Yeah, or I'm a caretaker. Right? I'm a caretaker. Like if we could if we could be part of. And this originalism thing, you know, it's very present. It's very timely. I read a lot of Alito's opinion in the Dobbs case that Mm -hmm. overturns Roe and forces women to give birth. Sure. And um, he's a very dangerous guy. Mm -hmm. Um, Very bad writer. Mm. One of my my college buddies used to clerk for a judge and she was just like, his writing is trash. (laughs) She's like, Mm-hmm. It's really, it's like he's a testament to to elevated mediocrity. Like mm-hmm. there's no way he should be there just with the right, writing skills alone. It's one of the most cynical decisions I've ever heard. Well, ever but it it's goes to your point about originalism. Mm-hmm. The, the basic logic of his opinion yeah. um, is that because we can't find right. freedom for certain people in the past, right. we can't find freedom for those people in the future. What are we going to do? Sorry. So we just, we, we, we got to go back. Wasn't in there. We got to go back. Yeah. And, and we can't use our own eyes right now to make any judgments. No. And it's like, we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to limit ourselves, right. which is a direct contradiction of another premise of the country and the economy that powers the country. Cause there have always been intertwined of innovation and progress. Mm. And like, what's, exactly what's the right. point of that? Why have a business? Why, why try to achieve growth of any kind? Like we right. shouldn't have Tesla's. Right. We shouldn't have electricity because it wasn't originally around. You know, we should mm-hmm. all just be churning butter by hand, just doing what the founders the, did. 
The iPhone is not in the Constitution, Baratuni. Stop trying to put the iPhone in the Constitution. In fact, this whole internet thing, planes, right? These are all inadmissible. They're not original. And so Mm -hmm. history, it's a complex thing to embrace. Mm -hmm. This country is so ahistorical by design, in part because we're afraid of the shame of, of some of our sins, in part because the people who voluntarily came here were running from stuff. And wanted to start anew. They didn't want to remember the old world. That was that was bad for them. That was torturous for them. That was taking all their possessions and forcing them to be a part of communities they didn't want to be a part of anymore. So I I get that. And then a lot of us, you know, on the sort of redemptive side, just like we got to know history, real history. We got to take these statues down. Sixteen nineteen project. Blah 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 blah. History is a foundation, right? It's not. It should not be a cage. And so we need to understand where we came from. Only insofar as it helps us get where we want to go. And Alito and crew, they don't want to go anywhere except backwards. And their justifications are so, they're infuriating. They're also petty and like tragically sad. I have the same words. Petty is a fantastic word. Um, I find, why are you, okay, like for me, to go off on this subject just for a second. Yeah, do it, man. This is a, this is one of the subjects in America that we've always been divided about by roughly the same numbers forever in terms of the actual people who would support it and not support it. it. Just those types of people. I'm not talking about people who might be for a form of it or that, but people generally who would say I'm pro-life or pro-choice just without having to talk about anything else. It's, we're roughly divided in that maybe 60, 40 maybe 55, 45, who knows? And that's been the numbers for a long time. That's not going to change because they're your, most of your pro-life people, it's based on religion, you know, and it's deeply held belief. I got no problem with that. Pro-choice people, it's based on liberty, you know. Let's not infer the liberty of a woman's decision, which ironically is a conservative position, yeah. I've always said. And I've always said the pro-life position, ironically, is a liberal position. You're asking for the government to to intervene on behalf of a of a being that can't do something. Right, so right. come on, government, I need your help. That's a liberal position, yeah. getting the government's help. Liberty of a woman, that's a conservative position. Uh-uh, liberty is the most important value we have in this country. Let's not fuck with that. Conservatives don't care about that. No, liberty doesn't matter in this in this conversation, sorry. And it, But it's cynical because we're people accept abortion on this terms. I don't like it, yes but I understand that it may be necessary. Some things are messy like mm-hmm. that in life. Mm-hmm. And if we're adults, truly adults, we can have that conversation about the messiness of life. It doesn't have to be a black-white conversation. Abortion is either bad, impossible, or it's good. Let's have as many abortions as we can. No, right. that's not what the issue is. Abortion is a is one of the messy things in life that we accept because some people are going to go through that and discover that that's going to be an option. You don't like it. Guess what? No one's forcing you to have an abortion. Yeah. But now when you're saying, I'm forcing you to carry that baby, now you are interfering. So, motherfucker, that's a cynical decision. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's cynical. Yeah. From all those points of view, it's not realistic. It's not looking at the world as it is. It's looking at the world as you think it should be, you know. And that's that's my biggest thing on that. I feel it's the only issue that's really like that. There's no... It's so unique in that sense. And even... The argument, the Roe v. Wade argument based on privacy, I don't have a problem with that. Ruth Bader Ginsburg said she doesn't feel it's a strong argument. That's fine, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But you know what? It serves the purpose of the messiness of abortion as far as I'm concerned. 
And I, th- I actually think it serves it quite well because it's really based on Griswold. But uh, it, I think it's an adult conversation that they had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I feel Roe v. Wade is an adult conversation. And now they've taken that adult conversation where they said, no, 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 let's protect liberty here. We're the liberty of privacy, right? This country's basic idea that free pursuit of happiness, right? That's our basic ideas about the country, right? So privacy has to be a value yeah. in that, right? And now they're saying it's not. So it's like, fuck you, motherfuckers. It is. You know, you're just being cynical about this. And the other thing that I'll say, people can, I don't think it's men deciding women and all this stuff. It's it's really religion against people that don't want religion to be a part of it. And we can talk about Alito, we can talk about these, but take it up with Jesus, you guys, if you really have a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, that's the difficult conversation. It's like, take it up with Jesus, you know? These are the conversations we need to have. Does Jesus belong in the legislature? Yes or no? And if so, he should probably get some votes. Jesus should be you know? clear about where he belongs in that legislature. As far <laughs> exactly. as I'm sure. I don't think he's been clear <laughs> enough about that. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure he'd be a very, very liberal member of Congress. <laughs> I think he would I think he would say, guys, I'm out on this abortion thing. You guys are gonna have to do that yourselves. Yeah, you'd yeah. be like, bring AOC back once Jesus got there. He says, I'll weigh in on the taxes and all that stuff, but I ain't weighing in on this. <laughs> Trying to keep my job. Exactly. But anyhow, that's my opinion about it. I just Think, yeah, I think thank it's you so cynical. That, yeah. It's one of the most yeah. cynical. I was sick when I saw that. I'm like, good God. The whole bringing that up and everything, it shouldn't even be before the Supreme Court as far as I'm concerned. You know, yeah. but anyhow, I just get, Ugh. I feel it. I hear it. Let it out. Let it out. But Barrett tuned I want to thank you for being with us and talking about this. This is our, I didn't even need to weigh in for this episode, you guys. <laughs> this is just talk with Barrett Tunday. There we go. I told you it's about America and about America. It's about both, both of them, both nations, America and America. I hope you get a chance to do more of these because they're, I think they're so delightful and just so interesting. Yeah, man. Thank you. It's, and, and for folks who want to check it out, it's so support your PBS network if you can watch it, you know, there. Yes. But also it's in the PBS video app. A lot of us don't have traditional cable, but the PBS video apps on Apple TV, Roku, all that kind of stuff. And they're putting the, the very first episode fully on YouTube. Uh, so it's just the PBS YouTube channel. There'll be a ton of segments there, but the whole premiere is going to be there. I'll be in the comments, you know, during the YouTube premiere Tuesday, July 5th, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. And uh, yeah, let's let's reconnect. Let's reconnect with nature, reconnect with each other. And, like uh, and let's use history as this foundation to build the nation we can be, the, an, an actual democracy, you know, that includes yes. all of us, which is still a great idea that we haven't quite done yet. I agree. That's what I mean. I have no problem with the originalist ideas. I think the ideas are awesome, but let's go forward. Yeah, let's actually do it. Let's Let's go go forward. Let's go, America. (laughs) And as Brad Tunde is showing us, let's take care of the place we live in, too, and respect it. Yes. Uh, That is Love in the Country. Thank you guys for joining us on this special Independence Day. What else? What was the other word you called it? Interdependence. Uh, Interdependence. Very nice. Yeah. Independence Day. Interdependence Day, 4th of July weekend, Bariton Day Thursday, America Outdoors with Bariton Day Thursday premieres on July 5th, and you'll be able to get it on the app and on YouTube as well. Thank you, my friend. It's so great talking to you. Thank you, Larry. Good talking to you, too. Appreciate you, man. Keep doing it. Yeah. 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 We out here in these streets. He's black on the air, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>